I want to praise the Lord for God's grace in raising money in our missions. Uh, some folks donated uh, money, and uh, I don't know who you are, but whoever you are, thank you. And thank you all of you who gave this morning towards the missions fund. Praise God for it. We will meet as a missions committee. We won't meet tonight. We've got several things. Today has been kind of a busy day. We will meet soon in the future, a missions committee. But thank God the needs have been met right at this point. But uh, thank you for your commitment to missions. Thank you for being uh, sensitive to the Holy Spirit and giving towards it. And for boys and girls and men and women to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for that. And I know that they are and will be. Exodus chapter 20 this evening, Exodus chapter 20, we're going to introduce, of course, this very, very familiar passage of Scripture, one of the most, one of the most familiar probably in the Bible is the, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments. How many of you growing up had the Ten Commandments somewhere in your house growing up? How many of you had that growing up in your house somewhere, someplace? Many of you did probably. <laughs> Some of you who are older saw it a lot more than this generation. And because it used to be, used to be everywhere. Used to be in courthouse, used to be in schoolhouse, used to be uh, pretty uh, normal. See, it's pretty normal all, all over the place. And of course, as our society has become more progressive, and I don't mean that in a good way, I mean that in a very negative way, they've become more anti God. With all our technology, we've not become morally better, we've become morally uh, wicked. And so we uh, have abandoned pretty much the, the teachings that we find here in the Ten Commandments. But we're going to start out by just reading the first couple of verses and then go deeper into this, of course, next week. But Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1, God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. I pray, God, that you be with us now as we begin this very important study on these ten commandments. They're not ten suggestions. They're not ten, ten opinions. They're ten commandments, Lord, that they are good as they were for that day, as they are for this day. I pray, God, you'd help us, Lord, recognizing, of course, these things do not save us, but ultimately they bring us to the place to recognize that we cannot save ourselves, that none of us, by our own ability, by our own goodness, by our own strength, can keep any of these because without you, we have nothing. We are nothing. It's only by your grace that we're saved. It's not in keeping these things, but recognizing that once we are saved, we should love you enough to keep your commandments. And I pray you'd help us to do so. I pray you'd help us be reminded of that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. I still have the story about a Sunday school teacher who was trying to teach the Ten Commandments to her young students. She thought it would be helpful if she used some concrete illustrations. Early one Saturday morning, Johnny's parents were going shopping, she read to them. They asked Johnny to wash the dishes while they were gone. When they returned, however, Johnny was watching cartoons and the dishes were still unwashed. That never happens in any of your homes, I'm sure. In one accord, the class responded, Honor thy father and mother. Good, said the teacher. And, and went shopping with her mother. But when no one was looking, she slipped a candy bar into her pocket. I'm sure none of you have ever done that. Again, the class was quick. Thou shalt not steal. Great, said the teacher. Then she said, Andy was a cruel little boy and had a bad temper. He got angry with his little sister one day and grabbing her pet kitten, he threatened to pull his tail off. This was a much tougher example. 
Everyone was real quiet for a moment. Then one little fellow brightened up and shouted, With God had joined together, let no man put asunder. <laughs> so these, these verses contain, this chapter 20 of Exodus contains some of the most well-known verses uh, in the Bible, and yet some of the most controversial the implications of these Ten Commandments are not, are, uh, are the, implications of, the implications of these actions that are in the Ten Commandments are not important, uh, people say, are not important today, that we don't need them, that there's no absolutes, there's, there's, there's no rules, no guidelines, that's what the world says. Everybody can do, does what is right in their own eyes, right? But we think about it, think if, if the, if, if, even the first, thou shalt have no other God, is thrown out. Think about that. Think about that. Think the implications of that. When everybody is their own authority and everybody decides what to do, what's right. If everybody decides to do what's right in their own eyes and there's no laws and no rules, what does that equal? Equals chaos. Equals chaos. Bad rule, bad leadership is better than no leadership. Bad rule, bad leadership is better than leadership. You've got to have something, you've got to have some type of rules and regulations. Our schools are now faced with young people who basically are their own authority. Rebellion, civil disobedience, disobedience to parents' authority. Uh, today, teachers, <laughs> thousands of teachers require medical attention each month from student-inflicted injuries. Different day, right? Pulling, parents are pulling out their hair, what they have left, because their children do not honor, respect them because they do not honor, they don't obey the Ten Commandments and honor thy father and thy mother. Heard a story about a mother who was laboring in her kitchen preparing a special recipe for supper for the family. Her little boy was giving her fits, running in and out of the kitchen, ignoring her mother's threats and warnings. When he finally knocked over the special dish, his mother grabbed a broom and started after him. He crawled out of the house, crawled, ran out of the house, crawled under the, went underneath the house, decided to, and she decided to let her husband take care of it. So when her husband came home from work, she said, go discipline your son. Isn't it always interesting when it's your son, not our son? It's always interesting how that little phraseology, when they're doing good, it's our son or my son. But when they're doing bad, it's your son. <laughs> uh, that's a little lesson in, uh, well, you know what that means. So the father crawled under the house looking for his son. Saw two bright lights peering around a pillar and heard a soft voice saying, Dad, is she after you too? <laughs> a recent survey of a married couple was taken. The question was asked, if you had to do it all over again, would you do the same? Consensus said that 70% would get married, but they would not have children again. That's sad, isn't it? We throw out the Ten Commandments, and you, shall th and you throw out, thou shalt not murder. Well, when evolution is taught in the schools, not as a theory, but as a fact. Even in the 80s, I never heard one word in public schools about the possibility of creation. I heard it, the, the, third, the theory of evolution, 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 evolution taught as a fact. But dear friends, it's not a fact. You have to have more faith in that than faith, that faith to believe that God created the world. And, of course, evolution is wrong. If you want to know how, well, you just talk to Grady McMurtry, and he'll tell you all about it. But I, I can talk about it, too. 
But when you believe, you throw out, thou shalt not, thou, thou shalt not murder. And evolution is taught in the schools. Murder is on the rise because life is not precious. Abortion is legal because they do not believe biblical truth that life begins at conception, not at birth. There's about five or six states, one of them Colorado, Washington, I think Delaware, Vermont, that a, a, actually a child can be killed after it is born if the parent, if the woman decides that it needs to die. It's terrible. You know what that is, folks? Murder. Yeah. But we believe as Christians that a child is formed in the womb, a conception. Throw out, thou shalt not commit adultery. Marriage comes, becomes about convenience. If we're, if we're not happy, if we're not happy with our, with our spouse, if we're not happy with our husband, we're not happy, they don't please us, we've lost that loving feeling, then we just say, well, I don't have the feeling anymore, so we must not be in love. Let me just go get me another one, just like I got me a different pair of shoes. No, the marriage is till death do us part. That's what, that's, what, that's what we come together and say. That's what we come together and say. Marriage is not about convenience. It's about commitment. The couple says faith should be faithful to one another because it's right, not based on what society deems is right. We forget Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, but the fearful, isn't it interesting that it starts with that word fearful? Because when you throw out the command, when you throw out the Ten Commandments, we become a society of chaos, and everybody becomes fearful. When you don't have a fear of God, you become a fearful person. The closer you get to God, the more courage you have in life. The farther away you get from God, the less courage you have in life, and the more fearful you are as a Christian. You see it. Look at Daniel. Daniel, loved God, feared God, prayed to God. Courage. No fear, thrown in the lion's den. Joseph, others we can name. The closer you get to God, the less fear you'll have in life. The farther you are from God, the more fear you'll have from your life. It's just a principle. The fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, and the murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Since we kicked God out of the schools, his word and prayer, SAT scores have dropped dramatically. Now, if you want more details about this, exactly how it's happened, I encourage you to go to wallbuilders.com. And David Barton will show you statistically how our society has changed since prayer and Bible reading is no longer in the school. It is amazing. It is amazing. Problems have changed from what used to be Talking, chewing gum, chewing gum, running in the halls, littering, dress code violations, now to rape, robbery, assault, bombings, arson, vandalism, extortion, drug addiction, gang warfare, pregnancies, suicide, and murder. And it is a daily thing in the schools here, right down here, all over here. In Gainesville, all you have to do is pick up the paper, read the Daily the, the Alachua Chronicle. You will see it on a regular basis. These things happening. These things happening in public schools every day. Why? 
Because there's no fear of God in their eyes. When you teach kids that they're animals, that they're basically animals, there is no God, then why not eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? That's why the Ten Commandments are so important. It should be revered, studied, and obeyed. The first core commandments deal with our relationship with God. The last deal with our relationship with men and women. These are ten, as I mentioned, of the 613 commands. Some are ceremonial, which, of course, we do not follow. Some are religious, dietary. Thank God we do not follow. As we ate today, we did not follow the dietary laws of the Old Testament and need not to, according to the book of Acts. Some are health, some are civil laws. But these moral laws that we find in the Ten Commandments, we should obey. There's only one, and we'll talk about it concerning the Sabbath, that is different that we do not follow after. But when we say murder is okay, and adultery is okay, and stealing is okay, and lying is okay, and coveting is okay, and disobeying our mother and father, and dishonoring mother and father is okay, no surprise, we have a rise in crime, a rise in chaos, and a rise of trouble in our world. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts of mean while accusing or excusing one another. We're born with a conscience, a conscience that knows a little bit about right and wrong, but as I mentioned Wednesday night, that conscience can be seared. It can be adjusted. You, you hang around... You know what's wrong. You hang around people who tell you what you know is wrong is right. Before long, you'll believe what you know is wrong is right. And you'll believe it and you'll follow it. God gave us his law as an expression of his love towards us to help us, to provide for us, to protect us. We see it in Deuteronomy chapter 33. In verse 1, this is a blessing where Moses, the man of God, blessed his children of Israel. Before his death, he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints from his right hand with a fiery law for men. Yea, he loved the people. All our saints are in his hand. They sat down at his feet. Everyone shall receive thy words. Moses commanded us the law, even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. These ten commandments have never been repealed. They're written on stone by the finger of God, indicating their permanency, importance. God came to fulfill these commandments. We read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Think not that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, To heaven and earth shall pass, not, not one jot nor one tittle shall no wise pass with it from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever thou shalt break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Romans 3.31, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. The fourth commandment concerning the Sabbath is a ceremonial law. So why don't we follow the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath as I got to physically see while I was in Israel, is basically from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, basically about 6 to 6, depending on the time of the year. So we don't follow that because that is the Sabbath day. They worship that even in Israel and some people even in, in America today who are Jewish. I was, we were on a plane on the way from Newark, New Jersey, Tel Aviv, and in the plane when it was Sabbath day, they got up and they 
during, they'd had their Sabbath prayer even in the plane to some of the annoyance of some of our team members who was sitting right there in front of them while we were having their prayers. They were always congregated right in front of them, and they had very limited space, and they were trying to pray and do all these different things. It was a very interesting time. But we worship God on Sunday. Why is that? Because they worshiped on the first day of the week in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus Christ rose again on the first day of the week on Sunday. So we worship God on Sunday. That's what we do. The other nine commandments are repeated in one form or another in the New Testament. God did not give these commandments to the Israelites that could attain righteousness by keeping them. Salvation is through faith in the Lord. Keeping these ten commandments, if you could, cannot get you to heaven. Romans 3.20, therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, but by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So if keeping the Ten Commandments saves someone, then what was the purpose of, of Jesus dying on the cross? Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So it's not by the keeping of the law that saves us. It's by faith in Christ. So what is the difference, and a lot of people get caught up in this and struggle with this, what is the difference between the law and the gospel? The law, first of all, requires that we worship God as creator. The law requires that we worship God as creator. 1 Timothy 2, 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. Pete mentioned these earlier in his Sunday school class. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast in profession. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched by the field of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, and we obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Hebrews 7, 25, Wherefore is able to save them to the uttermost that come to him by, by come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for by him. God, God the law requires that we worship God as creator. Secondly, the law requires obedience, but it gives no strength to obey. Romans chapter 7, verse 22, for delight in the law of God after the inner man, inward man. Number three, the Ten Commandments are a glass or a mirror to show us our sins. So we're forced to flee to Christ to satisfy our guilt and to save us from God's wrath. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 through 20, wherefore when serveth the law, it was added because of our transgressions to the seed should come to whom the promise was made, for it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. We talked about this word last week. It's not a school teacher. It's actually one who takes or leads another person to the school to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law is a guide for us to holy living, it does not make us holy, but it reveals or shows us ourselves. When we see these commandments, we recognize there's no way possible that I can keep these on our own. We recognize we must flee and ask for the grace of God to save us, for God to save us, for Christ to save us, because these commandments cannot save us. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we are free from the curse, the condemning, and power of the law. 
Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Curses everyone that hangeth on a tree. I found this interesting fact. King James I of England is responsible for the term whipping boy. In the 17th century, the king considered sacred. No one was allowed to touch him or his children. James' son, Charles, was a brat. No one could spank him. Another boy, William Murray, was picked to be his private playmate and a whipping boy for the king's son. So every time Charles misbehaved, William was punished. In a sense, Jesus Christ, in a sin, did the same thing for us. He took upon himself our punishment. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 18, For Christ also have suffered, have once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. We're not under the condemning power of the law as Christians. We are, however, under its commanding power. We're not under its condemning power, but we are under its commanding power. Romans chapter 3 and verse 31, we, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Obeying God's law gives us opportunity to demonstrate our love and obedience to the Lord. Love, loving God is expressed by our obedience to the word of God. The Bible says in Psalm 40 verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, the light, the law is within my heart. John 14, 21, he hath my commandment and keepeth them. He that, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. What's Jesus saying? The people who love me show it by keeping my law. And people who don't love me show it by not keeping my law. It's simple as this. Parents, you have children and they don't obey you. Why do they don't obey you? Because they don't love you. It's simple as that. And if they do love you, they do love you, they obey you. As simple as that. simple as that. What are the ingredients of our obedience? How should we obey? How should we obey? First of all, we are to obey enthusiastically, cheerfully, and willingly. Not, oh, do I have to obey the Bible? Now think about that, folks. How do you, you know, I think God sees our attitude. He sees what we are inside, you know. Don't you love it, moms and dad, when you tell your kids to do something and they come to you and they say, do I have to, what, do I have to put food on before you? Did I have to bring you up? Did I have to buy you clothes? Did I have to get you a nice house? Did I have to? Ah, turn the tables a little bit. Oh, dear friends, if we're going to obey, we ought to obey enthusiastically, cheerfully, and willingly. Isaiah 119, if be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. We should want to obey God. We should be excited to obey God. We should be thankful to obey. Secondly, our, obey should be, our obedience should be energetic, devout, and reverent. Romans 12, verse 1, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, which should seek to obey. We should initiate obedience. We should pursue obedience. We should thrive on obedience. We should hunger after obedience. And if there's anything keeping us from that, it's probably sin.
do right till the stars fall, whether somebody else does it around you. You may be in a situation at work where nobody does right. Does it mean you don't do right because no one else does right? No, you choose to do right because it's right, because God says it's right. Obedience should be extensive, reaching to all its commands, not just the ones we like. Well, I like these four because they fit my needs. I won't obey the different ones different ones because I don't really like those. No, the Bible says in Psalm 106, verse 3, Blessed are they that keep judgment, that he doeth righteousness at all times. We're not just to obey during the day, we're to obey during the night. We're not just to obey during the night, we're to obey during the day. We're to obey all the time. Our obedience to be endless, consistent, constant. James 1.27, Whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Fifth, our obedience is to encompass and embrace all our heart. You see, friend, obedience, ought, it, it ought not to come out of a sense of I have to. It ought not to come out of duty. But because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, and knowing he sacrificed himself so we could have everlasting life, it ought to come out of a heart full of love. Deuteronomy 26, verse 16, The day the Lord thy God hath commanded thee to do these statutes and judgments, thou shalt keep, therefore keep them, do them with all thine heart and with all thy soul. Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. It ought to be a heart of love. Is there anything in your life that's keeping you from loving Jesus? Is there anything in your life that's keeping you from obeying his commandments? If you struggle with stealing, if you struggle with lying, if you struggle with adultery, if you're struggling with covetousness, if you're struggling with dishonoring your father and mother, and that's not just a, something for kids or teenagers, that's for us as adults too. You're to honor your father and mother as long as you're alive, friends. It's a lifelong commandment. It's to be our engagement, our duty, our number one priority. Acts 5, 29, Peter and other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. If there was ever a choice that the statutes and the, the laws of the land and the laws of God come in conflict, we always obey God's laws over man's laws. Because someday, dear friend, when we stand before God, we'll give an account of our lives before God. Paul and John, they recognized that. Even though they were beaten, even they were told by, the, by, the, by the, the law of the land, don't go out and preach the gospel. Don't go out and tell people about the Christ who was crucified. They chose to obey God rather than men, even if it meant suffering for their lives. I wonder today how many of us in this church would do that. If it meant suffering, if it meant beating, if there was a law during COVID that said, you cannot come to church, how many would have showed up to church? Well, thank God there was never that law. There was that law in California, and we talked about it. Brother Treber, remember we mentioned that, Golden State, Baptist College, the church out there, they were fined $3,000 per service. $3,000 per service. How many times would you come to church being charged $3,000 by the state of California? What if they, we got a letter saying, if you hope in church, it's going to cost you $3,000, what we have done? Well, we showed up. Well, we'll never know because it never happened. But it might happen in the future. I would be surprised if it did. 
Signs of obedient spirit. First of all, we desire what we'll, we have a desire to please the Lord. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 8. Yea, and in thy ways of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited it for thee, for the desire of our soul is, is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. Psalm 42, verse 1. As a heart panteth after the water brooks, O panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsted for God, for the living God. When shall I come and peer before God? You have a heart that thirsts after righteousness. You have a heart that pants, desires, that can't wait, that, can't, that, can't, that cannot wait to, to, to dig into God's word. Is there anything in this world, in this life, that you hunger and thirst for more than God? Is there anything more important to you and more than you care about? You cannot find true, lasting contentment in anything without him in your life. I heard a story, missionary story. I love these old missionary stories. College professor who visited the Fiji Islands, he was agnostic, brother, brother Tiny. He critically remarked to an elderly chief, you're a great leader, it's a pity that you listen to the missionaries and you have now become Christians. Don't you know that no one believes the Bible anymore? People are tired of the threadbare story of Christ dying on the cross for the sins of mankind. You know better. I'm sorry you're so foolish for believing the missionary story he told the great leader. The great chief, eyes flashed as he answered. See that great rock over there? On it, smash the heads of our victims. Notice the furnace next to it. It is the oven we, oven we formerly roasted the bodies of our enemies. If it hadn't been for those good missionaries, the love of Jesus that changes from cannibals into Christians, you'd never leave this place alive. <laughs> you better thank God for the gospel. Otherwise, we'd already been feasting on you. If it weren't for the Bible, you would be our supper tonight the gospel has the power to change lives even cannibals oh dear friend don't get discouraged don't be disheartened trust in God's word obey God's word Psalm 43 verse 5 where thou cast down on my soul why art thou disquieted within me hope in God for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God you will hate number three you will hate that which hurts your fellowship with God you will hate your sin. What's the signs of, a of obedient spirit? Our desire to be with the Lord. You cannot find true, lasting contentment in anything without him. And number three, you will hate that which hurts your fellowship with God. You will hate sin. It's really a choice. You either love God or you love sin. You cannot do both. You cannot do both. So if you're struggling with sin, the problem is not an external problem. The problem is an internal problem. The heart of the problem is always a problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is always a problem of the heart. Psalm 119, verse 104, through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Psalm 119, 113, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law that I love. Psalm 119, 128, therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all the things to be right. I hate every false way. You say hate's a strong word. We should hate sin. We should hate it. We should despise it. We should, we should do everything away to get away from it. To think about it. 
to focus on it, to be around it. Man, when I, when I walk into a store and they're playing 80s music, which I used to love, I hate it now. I hate it. Why? Because it brings back with just a few notes things that I used to, be, the way I used to be and used to, the way I still used to act. When I see people doing such evil things, drugs and alcohol, and live in such a carnal way, which used to be my life, I despise it. I despise it. Smoking, I can't stand it. I can't even, I can't even stand the smell. Why is it? It took the life of my grandfather. I despise it. You say, well, you hate the people. No, I don't hate the people because that was me. And that would be by the grace of God. If it wasn't for the grace of God, that would, would be me. That would be me. We should hate sin. You and I should grieve over things that grieve God. Do you grieve over things that grieve God? Rivers of water run down my eyes because they keep not thy law. Psalm 119, 136. When you see people continue in sin, does it bother you? When you have family members who are headed to hell, does it bother you? We have friends and colleagues living in sin, talking about their parties and their fun, their wickedness. Doesn't it, does it bother you? Does it bring tears to your eyes? Or do you no longer blush because it's just commonplace? You see, two women kiss, it's commonplace. We see two men holding hands. It's commonplace. Oh, I remember a day back in high school. Oh, even in high school, in the public high school, homosexuality, even in a public school was, no, that didn't happen. It didn't happen back then. Because even back then, even in the South, it wasn't a Christian school, it was a public school. They knew right from right. They had a little bit of moral, knew, knowing a little bit about right and wrong. He will praise the Lord in order to point to other point others to him. Psalm 9, verse 11. Sing praise to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the, the people his doings. Let them, Isaiah 42, verse 12. Let him them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise to the islands. You cannot bear, number six, to be out of fellowship with God. If you lie, you can't wait to get it right that you lied. If you stole, you can't wait to get right that you stole. If you got in an argument with your spouse or your kid or your child, you cannot sleep. You can't sleep. Dear friend, if you can sin and it don't bother you, you better be careful. You, be, you, ought to be, you ought to be concerned about your salvation. Not that you're not saved, but you're definitely not in fellowship with God. If you can lie and not bother you, you can still not bother you. You can watch pornography for hours, and 70% of all men watch pornography. If you can do that and not bother you. If you could just live worldly, drink, smoke, act, act like the world, and not bother you, then, dear friend, something's not right. You say, preacher, you know who you're talking to. Yeah, I know who I'm talking to. The church has these issues, the very issues which I'm talking about right now. The church of Jesus Christ in America has these issues, and much worse today you can't bear it john chapter 20 verse 13 they say in her woman while beavis thou she's them because they have taken away my lord and i know not where they laid him she couldn't bear to be away from our lord dear friend we should not we should we should cannot bear to be right with god 
We should be want to be right with him and clean with him and whole and righteous. That's why we talk about so much forgiveness and having a clean conscience between God and man. If there's not a clean conscience, do whatever you can, when you can, while you can, to get that clean conscience. You'd be willing to suffer for him, number seven. Second Timothy 4, 6, for I'm ready now to be offered and at the time of my departure is at hand. Paul didn't have to, he didn't worry about being suffering for Christ. He didn't, he didn't, I'm obviously, as a human being, it bothered him, but spiritually, he was like, if this is what it takes to please God, whatever it takes to please God. Our love for the Lord is a sign of his love for us. If we, we love him, 1 John 4, 19, because he first loved us. As we open here, this curtain of Exodus chapter 20, we introduce to this lawgiver. Notice verse 1, and God spake the word, saying, God is a lawgiver. There were two requirements for the lawgiver. First of all, wisdom. It is needed to make wise law. God has monopoly on wisdom. Proverbs 3, 19, for the Lord wisdom hath founded the earth. By understanding hath he established the heavens. Daniel 2, 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and mine are his. Secondly, God is not only wisdom, he is our authority. A lawgiver must have a stamp of authority to enforce laws. The Bible says in Job 42, 2, I know that thou canst do everything that no thought can be withholden from thee. Psalm 115, verse 3, but our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Second verse, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. What's he saying? What's he saying with those words? Dear friend, don't you remember where you used to be? Don't you remember? Don't you remember your history? Don't you remember your heritage? For over 400 years, the people of Israel were in bondage. For 400 years, your people were in slavery. They had no hope, no help. They were destined to be in those mud pits. They were destined to be to make straw, to make out of straw brick. To be slavery. What, what is your going to be occupation? Slavery. What's your children's occupation? Slavery. What's your children's children's occupation? Slavery. And went over, the, over that generation after generation after generation. Can you imagine being there? Spiritually, that's where people are in America today. They're in spiritual slavery. Oh, they have all kinds of things. But they're in spiritual slavery. Because what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Was he saying to remember when the water was turned to blood? That was me. Remember when the flies, mosquitoes, frogs, and dying cattle? That was me. Remember the boils in Egypt, thunder, hailstorms in Egypt, the locusts that covered the land, the three days of darkness, the death of the firstborn in Egypt? That was me. Remember the parting of the Red Sea, the dry path, the cross, the cross, the destruction of the Egyptian army? That was my work. Remember the pillar of cloud that cooled you in the day and warmed you in the desert nights? That was me. Remember your, the manna that was provided you, the hunger that you have, the wrath that came upon the smitten rock at Rephidim, your mouths that were dry, that I filled with water. Remember, that was me. He said, I saved you. I provided for you. I protected you. I led you. It was me. It was me. It was all me. If you're a young this morning, if you're a young person this morning, you out of gratitude ought to be thankful that God has saved you from a life of sin. You ought to be thankful. If you're saved at 5 or 6 or 10 or 15 or 20, you ought to be thankful that God did not allow you and his sovereignty to go through a life of sin. 
So for some older folks who got saved later in life, you have the scars, but you're saved, you have scars that you can never, that will never be cleansed on this side until you meet heaven, until you meet God in heaven. And those of us who were saved later in life, be thankful that God did change your life. Be thankful that God did, did save you. In the midst of your debauchery, in the midst of your wickedness, in the midst of your rebellion, by his grace, you are saved. And out of gratitude now, not because you have to, but because you want to. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You want to show God how much you love him? Keep his word. Keep his word. Show him that you really love him. And dear, dear, dear friend, I promise you, he sees. He sees every act of obedience. And he cares. And someday, you will stand before God and to give an account, not of your sins, but of your obedience to his perfect will for your life. Could it be said of you this past week, I kept his commandments because I love him. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for your care for us. Thank you for our, your protection for us, your provision for us. Oh, God, I pray that, first of all, we would know you. And secondly, I pray that we would show you. We would show you that we love you. Thank you, God, for loving us.